Hello to all my coffee lovers and educational boundary pushers. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Coffee Chug Cafe podcast series titled Living on the Edge of Chaos. My name is Aaron Maurer. Most of you know me as Coffee Chug or Coffee Chug Books on the online social media world. And I am so excited to bring this episode to you today. The goal of this podcast, as we have always talked about from day one with this, is to push you beyond your comfort zone, help you find your passion, and begin to infuse everything that you do in the classroom, education, and your life with that passion. And if you can do it with a cup of coffee, it makes it even sweeter. Today's episode is different from the previous four because I have a guest, and not just any guest. I have the amazing, wonderful person, Lisa Van Gammer, who works for Mensa. And I had the special privilege of being able to chat with her for almost an hour. I told her it was only going to be 15 to 30 minutes, but she just brings so many wonderful ideas and discussion points to the table. Um, I probably could have uh, talked to her for two hours if she would have let me. So we used a Google Hangout. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the, the podcast or the interview um, here for you. And I would love... Love to know what you think. I would love for you to follow and read up on what Lisa does. Check her out on Twitter and Facebook and all the places that she is in the social media world. I'll leave all her information in the show notes in addition to all books, links, people that we've discussed through this interview. I am so excited to bring this to you. So without further ado, let's get into the theme song and then we'll jump into the podcast. Thank you for joining us on the Edge of Chaos. Chaos. Ladies and gentlemen, Aaron Mauer. Chaos. 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 At six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, going insane. Listening to coffee chugs like caffeine for the brain. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Living on the edge of chaos. Chaos. Living on the edge of chaos. Kick chaos. Living on the edge of chaos. Kick chaos. Coffee chugs. 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 Chug. Also known my real name is Aaron Maurer. Most of you know me as Coffee Chug Books, and this is the Living on the Edge podcast series. This will actually be episode number five, and doing something brand new for the first time here is I have um, an awesome person, educator, and I would also like to consider her a friend, uh, Lisa Van Gammert here um, as an interview. And we're going to be talking a little bit today about presentation, delivery, and how to really kind of showcase our ideas. Um, and before I give uh, Lisa here a chance to introduce herself, I'd like to start off and just maybe basically explain how I ran into her. Back in August, I had the luxury of um, attending the World Council of Gifted and Talented Children conference in Kentucky, and I gave a presentation, and she was nice enough to see my presentation, and from there, we had a wonderful, about an hour-long conversation, I think, afterwards. We sat around and 
and chit-chatted, and I was just really impressed with the ideas and her passion and enthusiasm for education and things that she's done. And then uh, didn't really cross paths again for a while, and then just recently she made her way to Iowa and presented at the ITAG conference, and really, uh, personally, I believe, saved that conference quite a bit. And I think I sat and listened to her present for about four straight hours um, on that second day, and she really had the entire conference in the palm of her hand, um, just on her delivery and ideas and just the, the ideas that, that she advocated for. And so from there, we had other conversations about different ideas, and so I thought I have to get her on this podcast because people need to hear more um, from her. So there's my, my long, short story of how we've connected. Um, Lisa, I'll give you a chance maybe kind of introduce yourself here. Um, you can kind of tell people what you do. You've got a, a long list, and uh, yeah. we'll jump right into conversation. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. This is wonderful way to connect. So, um, yeah, my name is Lisa Van Gammer, and currently I'm the gifted youth specialist for Mensa and the Mensa Foundation. So, Mensa is a high IQ society. Most people are familiar with it. And I serve all the youth in Mensa, but also through the Mensa Foundation, which is our like education and research arm. Um, I serve gifted children and teachers around the world. So that's my professional capacity currently. I was a teacher and a school administrator before coming here. And I do still also have a professional development, like staff development, kind of um, side business that I still do too. So I do a lot of that. But my conference presentations are part of my work with Mensa. And I really enjoy them in large measure because I get to connect with people like you. And I thought that Iowa conference was great um, because you were there and there were a couple of other people like you. It's always good. And I think this topic that we're talking about today, presentation, is key because I was just reading an article today that was on the Atlantic's website, basically about the death of lecture as a teaching tool, and I think that's a huge mistake. And I think that it, TED Talks, if nothing else, convince us that lecture can be effective, but it has to be good. And good lecture is hard to beat. Yes, I would agree. And you know, it's it's funny that you you mentioned that. Um, as I just had a meeting with some teachers earlier this morning, we were talking, our, our building's converting to a project-based learning model. And as we're trying to sift through what that really means and how we operate it and still standing strong for the things that we hold dear to our heart, you know, and I know working with a couple of these teachers, they are very passionate about that lecture piece or that what, what we would call direct instruction. And just trying to let them know that that's such an integral part to education, learning, and life. It doesn't always have to be this huge, grandiose, massive project with this open-endedness. Sometimes we need someone to deliver, but you got to deliver it strong. Um, right. So I would completely agree with that. And I, there is that big push. You know, when you say lecture, it almost has a negative connotation in education anymore, which is um, I don't know that I always agree with. Yeah, it's like it's become a four-letter word, and, and I, I don't agree with that. I mean, poor lecture, poor lecture is bad, but so's poor group work and poor project-based learning. I mean, it's, it's not the medium that's the problem or the solution. 
Well, yes, well said. I, I agree with that. So you know, if we continue to and we talk about this presentation idea, and I know we've had several conversations on this just in passing at these conferences, and I know for me one of the things that drives me crazy, and it, um, not to be negative, but we have there's so many people that have such a wealth of information. You go to the presentations or you, you talk with other educators or people in the business world, and you know they have such a, a powerhouse of knowledge. And then to hear them speak or try to share that just taints miserably. And it kind of goes into like a poor lecture or poor group work. And I don't know what the answer is, but I think of like those keynotes and, and different breakout people, and they're using the same stuff from 20 years ago. And it's like, how do you... Is it a lack of awareness, you know, or they just they're they're stuck in their own ways, or I I I'm trying to figure out where that that major glitch lies, you know, because there's there's people like you, um, and there's several others that they get it and they deliver a powerful message and they just hook people in, and you know I guess I, I sit there all the time and that that's a challenge to myself is I hope I don't become that person where I think I have a good message but I lose everybody in the process. Um, and so, I don't know. I guess that's where I, where, I, where I fiddle around a little bit. I know we've talked about that a little bit kind of on the side. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, I think that there's a, a, a tricky piece here because one time I heard someone, I, I wish I could remember who it was, but I can't. I think it was Kathy Lee Gifford, and somebody asked her, are you really a singer or are you a dancer? And she said, I'm a singer who dances. And that stuck with me because I think that it's the answer to your question. Because a lot of the people who are presenters and are really good at it, that's a whole different skill set than being an effective researcher. So you can be a presenter who researches or you can be a researcher who presents. Mm -hmm. And that difference is key. If you're a researcher who presents, you've got to really develop that presentation piece. You can't just assume that because you're a great researcher or educator that, or you have a strong message, that that means that the conveying of the message is equally strong organically. And there's a whole skill acquisition piece to presenting. And a lot of people skip that step. They think that because the message is good, that means that strong presentation and effective presentation are going to organically follow, and that's not the case at all. Yeah, that's a very valid point. I was, you know, maybe we we talk into this. So, what are those those skill acquisitions? As we as maybe we'll take you for example when you go into your presentations. I mean, it, I know listening well to. Three of them in a row. It would have been four if I could have canceled my own session at ITAG. Uh, <laughs> you know what goes into to your, your your process. I mean, when you go to deliver, I mean, okay. it's, it's it's very obvious that you've got it figured out. So what is it that that you do? Okay. Well, I'll give you an example because I'm working on a presentation right now. Um, Brian Hausen and I. I know you know Brian. Yep. Um, Brian Hausen and I are presenting together at TAGT, the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, their conference in a couple of weeks in Houston. And that presentation is actually on basically how not to suck at presenting, ironically, <laughs> right? So um, what? how I start when I'm creating a new presentation 
is first of all I, I think about who's my audience that I'm creating this for that's the key because the audience drives the presentation it drives the message it changes the vocabulary I'm going to use it changes the topic I mean if I'm speaking to parents or speaking to kids or speaking to educators all of those different audiences have a different um, modality not just of learning but their whole prism through which they're approaching a presentation is different so for instance when I speak at a SENG conference which is supporting the emotional needs of the gifted those are almost all parents so my presentations I create for that look a lot different than the presentations that I do at an education conference and you can even do a different presentation at a world gathering than you do at a state gathering and you could do a different presentation in California or Texas who have huge conferences versus Iowa or Pennsylvania or some state like that with a small conference so first I look at that then I look at what about this topic is compelling to me and I start making a list and I just start a document and usually I just write it out by hand what do I want to talk about and then I start sorting out what are the families of this information how does this fit and I start researching and as I research that leads me into more and more and I come up with tons and tons and tons of information way more than I could ever fit in the piece that's what I want because that lets me call out anything that's not fantastic then I start with the key ideas and I open up my um, I just create a new, I'm, I'm not a Mac person, kind of wish I were more um, fluent in I anything, but I'm not. So I use PowerPoint, which I think is way more powerful than people realize. I mean, a lot of people I hear, oh, Keynote's so much better. But, you know, I've seen Keynote and I've seen PowerPoint, and in masterful hands, you can't tell the difference. So right. it's not the platform, you know. Um, so anyway, I open up a new PowerPoint presentation and I just on each slide, I, I create all the slides, I just put a few words of text on each slide, this is what's going where. And I look at it in the um, view that lets me see all of the slides at once and I start moving it around and I get it into the families that I want it. Although usually I've done some of that on paper before I put the text in the slide. Sometimes I'll literally cut the paper with scissors and move it all around and or I'll have stuff on index cards. If I'm writing a big article, I use index cards just like I used to teach my high school students, you know, I put each ID on its own card, move it all around. Then once I have the text on the slide, e each little bit of text and I mean bit like if I if I see more than 10 words on a slide I hit duplicate and duplicate slide and I cut them out and so the only time you're ever gonna see any length of text on my slide is when I feel that the quote needs to be seen in its entirety for power which I can think of one presentation where I have that um, ironically a presentation on boredom so, <laughs> don't get bored reading this quote but um, then I do my image search because I everybody is a visual learner it's a total mistake to say oh some people just want to listen and some people just want to see everybody wants to hear and everybody wants to see and while there are powerful messages that can be conveyed auditorially and there are powerful verbal 
uh, powerful visual messages that don't necessarily need words. I mean, we can all think of super evocative pictures that just resonate forever without words. The truth is, is that every visual has an auditory message in it. It's speaking to you. I mean, that's the language that we use. That picture spoke to me, right? So you can't really tease apart the visual power from the text power from the actual speaking presentation. It's interesting because the most viewed TED talk is Ken Robinson's How Schools Kill Creativity, and he has no slides. Right. But he is the visual, right? Yeah. He yeah. is compelling. We we want to watch him. There's still a visual element to it, you know. So then, so I search for good images, and I'm very careful about that. That is probably after the research. That's what takes the longest. And so I get, and if I can't find a good one, I'll skip it and I'll keep going and come back. And I've got that going on right now in a slide deck. I can't find a good visual to match this bit of text that I want. And then after I get all of that put together, so I've got a slide, it's got, each slide has just a few words, it's basically a cue for me and something for the audience to look at. And then, but if I didn't have my slide deck, I would be perfectly fine. You know, the audience, if they don't like what I'm wearing, might get sick of looking at me, but, <laughs> but I would be fine because a couple of things are really key. You can't look at your slides. I, that is, to me, number one and number two most ridiculous, terrible speaking presentation things are people who, the number one we all know, right? Too much text on the slides. Who doesn't know this by now? And yet everybody <laughs> does it. Like, you go to these high caliber conferences, and people who are like the leading expert in the world on whatever they're talking about, and it looks like a Word document they pasted into a PowerPoint slide. It is ridiculous. So that's number one. But number two is a presenter who has his or her back to the screen or to the audience because they're looking at the screen. That is number two. So you've got, in order to avoid that, two things need to happen. Number one, you can see it on your own laptop or whatever device you're presenting from. So if you need to look, look at that. But the second thing is practice. So if I'm going to give an hour-long presentation, if I'm preparing an hour-long presentation, it's going to take me over 100 hours to prepare that if I include the practice. Right. So like the keynote you saw me deliver in Iowa, you saw it probably the 50th time I'd given it. But I'd only given it, that was only the second time in public. Mm. But I practice over and over and over. I put it in, like while I'm blow drying my hair, I'm reading the thing. I read it on the plane. I, read, I practice it in my office over and over and over again until all the technology could blow to kingdom come and I would still be fine. Because in essence, the power of the presentation is the power of the presenter and his or her passion and his or her invitation to the audience to join that passion. So if your presentation gets in the way of that, as it so often does, right, you're, that people's presentation skills are so poor that it actually is a roadblock to their passion. That's the problem. And teachers 
aren't going to, when I was in the classroom, obviously I didn't spend a 100 hours in preparation for each hour of class time. But I'm not going to lie to teachers. I spent a lot of time. Right. So before I had, uh, before I would do what we would call a lecture um, in class, it, it's hours, right? So it's it's summer preparation and it's staying up and it's getting it done because I can't, as a teacher, be a roadblock to passion. Well said. You know, and I, I, I sit there and I was writing some notes down as you were talking. Uh, I guess the first thing, that, to piggyback off your last statement about, about the teachers in practice, and, and I would, I so wholeheartedly agree on that, because how many times have we heard the idea that, you know, the first time, first period lesson didn't go very well, they're always my guinea pigs, but by the afternoon I've got this thing chiseled out. You know, and really the question should be, you should have had that maybe chiseled out for the first period. Obviously, every time you do something, it improves. Like, so I'm not saying that it'd be the same, but sure. you should have, have prepped and had things ready so that first period, the first time you give it to the kids, like, should be should be stellar. And if anything, you're just making it even more stellar on top of things, um, as opposed to going, oh, man, by, by sixth period, I really had this bad boy looking good, you know, but... You should have had that figured out. Cause what about those other? Too bad about all those other yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. All the other kids are. Yeah, you're just yeah. you're a little guinea pigs. They really left out on some something there big. You know, I think you go all the way back to your first part when you said you talked about who is your audience. Um, and I'm still. I, I made it a goal of mine last year to present at conferences. This is a personal challenge to myself to get out of my comfort zone. And so I'm still learning quite a bit. And that audience piece I have found to be so vital just in the, the handful of presentations that I've given. And I have found that different conferences lend themselves to different types of clientele or personalities where if you go to a tech conference, there's just, there's always a, a buzz in the air and you can, you can rifle through a million things and they eat it up. And then you can go to other conferences. I've been to other educational conferences where you could come you, you can't go that fast. Not that they can't handle it, but that's not the right. mood. It's not the mood of the conference. And they, you know, um, and some conferences, are, they just want a lot of data. They want research. They want manipulatives. You know, they want, they want to walk away with a lot of takeaways. Um, and so in that audience piece I have found through the hard way a couple of times that has, you have to really understand what you're getting yourself into. Um, and that's oh, the same thing, same thing with the classroom too. Um, you know, who is your audience in each class period, depending on certain classes, you have classes that are loaded with a bunch of wonderful kids. And then there's other classes you just hold on tight and hope that you make it through, you know? So, yeah. um, that is, that's, I would completely agree there. Um, you know, and I would honestly say I've, I've, I have learned the hard way at, at a couple of places. I walked out of there going, Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. Now we know. <laughs> Well, as teachers, I think it's easy and and almost irresistible to be sucked into the idea of the wrong audience. Because in a normal business, it's easy to tell who your client is, right? If I'm a car salesman, somebody who's interested in buying a car or somebody who I want to persuade that they're interested in buying a car is my audience, right? If I'm a salesman, it's easy to tell who my audience is. If I'm a bank, I know who my customers are, anybody with money. But as a teacher, who's your customer, right? Is it the student? Is it their parents? Is it the administration? Is it the state? Is it whoever entity developed the common core who probably will remain anonymous forever so nobody puts out a hit on them? 
but like who's your audience and and because your clientele and your audience are together it's tricky because you can tailor something as a teacher that's perfect for students but will absolutely alienate the parent audience or the administrator audience and so I think teachers have the trickiest job of all with presenting because in the classroom are is this ghost audience lurking there that the kids can't see but the teachers totally aware of all the time right and, and so I think that one of the things we have to do as educators is pick our audience pick our audience and say you know what I'm not going to even worry about that audience here I'm just going to worry about this audience and I did that as a teacher and just said I'm only going to worry about the students I'm only gonna worry about students but understanding that that meant I fought a lot of administrative battles you know I got written up I I fought a lot of parent battles I probably had more parent conferences than a lot of my peers who were willing to choose a different audience so it's not an easy road right but but I felt like I never felt pressure to teach to a test and yet my students always performed better than than anybody else so I hate to sound braggy but you I would put my scores against anybody's right so just because you change your audience doesn't mean that everybody else is going to be unhappy with you forever but you do have to recognize that audience drives not only presentation but confrontation right yeah because I think you had a, on a really important piece there by knowing your audience um, you know you can really cater to that specific need and that's how you figure out how to infuse yourself your passion and what you want to bring to the table and when you start to divvy out to what you call that ghost audience which I've never heard that but that makes so much sense because I just made you know, it up right now well, man you better that that's 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 I love that term but I, as you said that I started to think about you you start to spread yourself too thin you know they, they talk about sometimes yes. you got you, you got to pick your battles or you gotta you gotta look at one or two things and di and dig deep in that you know you hear about that whether that's your your content or your life or whatever and if you start to think about that ghost audience and try to you know make all those people happy in the end nobody really ends up truly happy you know so yeah that's I like right. that focus on that one audience in the case in the classroom should be the student you know and let the chips fall where they may but if you've done your job with, you've done your job well with the kids you have nothing to worry about you know and sometimes you gotta you gotta, you gotta, gotta defend who you are but if you believe in it you should want to defend it um, you know so I agree it, with you but let me let me add one thing here though if you choose students as your audience every now and then you are gonna have to buy in right I can't just say well students are my audience and standardized tests aren't good for students so to heck with that big test at the end of the year I'm not giving it right you can't do that because no, then you no. won't be doing anything for students because you won't have a job so what you have to do though is if the students know and they will know that they're your audience most of the time then and the time when you have to cater to part of the ghost audience you can share that with kids and even my third grade students understood that if I right. say to them look I know this isn't fun I know it isn't good for you I know you don't like it we're gonna do this for this day knowing that if we don't do this this day we can't do anything else the rest of the time right we've we've got to pay the piper here 
then they'll go along with you. And I think it actually improves scores. You know, now there are a lot of things that they could do. We need to have another conversation about yeah. five ways to improve test scores without changing anything else. You know, you don't have to worry about teacher quality. You don't. Have to, there are like easy fixes for this. But the fact is, is that if you're catering to the right audience most of the time, and you let them in on that and why you're doing it, then they will go along with you. You know, it's it's exactly what um, what Simon. Sinek set his getting to why yes. that whole thing. If teachers are clear with their students about the why, then the kids will go along with them on the what. Right. Yeah. And I think that goes into that audience. You know, at least the way I operate, what I operate, it's very upfront and honest. And what you just said was, you just, I think you just tell them. You know, so we have to do this, and here's why, and here's how we're gonna, and then we're gonna move on. You know, and I still think, but it, in my mind, even making that statement. You're still addressing that audience of the students. Here's, I'm still meeting your needs because you have to do well on this. At the end of the day, there's not much we can do. It's a billion-dollar profit industry. It's not going anywhere. So let's do our job. Let's get it. Let's take it care of. You know, and then, then you can think about like, as, as you focus on the student lesson, then you start. You can start to have your your other circles around that of okay, if, if a parent or administrator has a question about it. Here's how I would cater to address that. You know, and really, it goes to a much bigger, bigger picture in my mind. Um, you know, kind of Dan Pink's idea to sell as human. Where what we're doing is just right. selling. You know, we're it's, selling. Yeah, and that's all we do, and everything we do in life is it's selling an idea. And as a teacher, that's what you're doing. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what I'm passionate about, and here's why you should be excited about it. And then here. Maybe we're not excited about it, but here's why we have to do it. Here's here's the importance of it. You want to showcase what you're capable of, you know. So it's this whole selling notion, um, and and everything we do. And the same thing with kids on the verse side. They turn in the work and stuff, and they're trying to sell out that they have actually learned yeah. the material. <laughs> or that they shouldn't have to. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's that's that. So I I agree with you completely. I I think a lot of times we're seeing now, and especially. People in the millennial generation more interested in career change, and so I think we're going to see even more of what we've seen in this trend of people who aren't necessarily career educators. They go do it for five or ten years, maybe go do something else. I'm fine with that because the research shows that the most effective years of a teacher's career are years like six to thirteen. Mm. So. Yeah, I yeah, so I'm fine with people leaving when they're done. Like if people <laughs> who've been teaching longer obviously can be effective, but what happens is they start to think often that not always, but sometimes that they're no one's audience, right? That that nobody has anything to share with them. Right. That they already know it. And so there's no point in learning. And if that's your attitude, you need a different job because educators have to be constantly learning. You can't preach be a lifelong learner if you are still passing out assignments that were done on a mimeograph, right? And they smell <laughs> and they have purple ink. So, right. so those people who change careers, we're going to keep seeing that trend. And it's interesting when I hear people say, oh, you know, he was an engineer and he became a teacher. She was a banker or whatever. And I say, give me a car salesman any day. Because, give me someone who sold ice to Eskimos because that's what teaching is. Teaching is selling. Yeah, I. 
yeah, we we think so much alike right now. I'm just going, yeah, uh huh, uh huh, mm hmm, yep. I mean, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree so much with with what you have there. Um, you gotta believe in your product. That's just back to Simon Sinek. I mean, yeah. you you gotta really believe in it. You can't just be selling it because that's your job. You can't just be selling it because they assigned you to that curriculum. You gotta believe it. You can't. Right. Just like he says, you know, that, that Martin Luther King didn't go and give an I have a plan speech. He gave a I have a dream speech. And too many times teachers are giving an I have a plan instead of I have a dream. Right, right. And that book, that, that's, that's one of my favorite books. Actually, I was just working on a, a write-up on that about how, how many times I've gone back and reread that book in passages. I think I've got, there's probably more highlighted parts than non-highlighted parts in, in his book that, that start with why. Um, it's such a such a great read. It is. Um, I just did a TED connection for it so that teachers could use his TED talk oh. in the classroom and help students get to why. Yeah, yeah. I'll you know, we use some of that. We use some of that with our our eighth graders, just uh, with this Bet Passion project we've done. And it's it's really it was an eye opener. Um, as we're trying to get them involved in the community, we started to realize most kids still don't know themselves. And part of that, I think, is, is that middle school journey, that, that weird adolescent age group. That's, what they're, that's the whole point of adolescence is to kind of find out who we are. But there's a huge, huge gap missing in a lot of kids where they just, they're not really sure what they have to offer, which is you know, it's so, so vital for them to know if we want them to be productive in society. Um, well... Good. I, you know, I think we, we might almost, almost have to create a series here because I think we've got about four other conversation topics that we've uh, come up with today. Uh, so I've had I've taken about a half hour of your time, but I want to jump back into a, a couple other ideas on, on presentation. Do you, you have a few more minutes? Sure. Okay. Um, and I think we need a we're gonna we'll have to re reconnect behind the scenes here. I think and uh, maybe talk a little bit more about some of these ideas because I would love to pick your brain on them. But if we can go back to your presentation process. So after we talked about audience, you know, you, you talked about PowerPoint. And I know I, I also agree with you on PowerPoint. I can't remember where the quote came from, but I remember reading that someone said, for the people who say PowerPoint sucks, they're the ones that suck at PowerPoint. So it's yes. not, like you said, it's not the platform. And I, I wish I knew who said that because I know, I know it's, it, I've seen it on Twitter a million times. But, you know, it's not the, the platform, the medium that you're using. It's the actual user. And so I am a keynote. I just, I like Mac, but I would be just fine on PowerPoint as well. And what you, when you talked about how you look at all the images, it's so funny because I, I watched Angela Myers prepare a presentation. She asked, I asked if I could watch her put something together and she pretty much did your entire system to a T and she's a fabulous presenter as well and so I think a lot of the, the great presenters have the same kind of system I mean she had all the slides out and she was moving and sliding and I'm going I need to do more of that well so I've started to incorporate that and it just makes a lot of sense um, and I had never used that actual option I was very sequential one slide at a time and then I saw her do that, and now I hear, hear you mention it, and I'm going, okay, okay, there's, there's definitely some merit to that big picture piece. Um, and I agree with that word, and actually, we just had some teachers come back from a brain research conference, and one of the brain research people that they were listening to talked about how people aren't just visual learners or auditory learners. If you actually look at the brain through the learning process, there's brain function going on all over the brain. And so it's not that you cater to one specific need, but you incorporate it all, which ties into your 
your visual with the words, you know, and then the auditory of the speaker, and it's this whole kind of immersive experience that the in the end the speaker has to deliver. Um, and I think there, there there's a great power in that. Um, and my pet peeve is those people that just copy and paste their research paper and have it on a big slide, you know. And the thing, I, the, thing, the thing I always, you know, and I always teach my kids, if if your slides tell me everything I need to know, then just just sit down and let's not even yeah. waste time listening to you talk. And I think there's so much truth to that. To these, just put them in a Google Doc. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, oh, I, I can read. read. I can read, and I can read a lot faster than you presenting. Yes, uh, <laughs> you've got nothing to say. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think it's disrespectful to the audience. Like, for me. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, at that world conference, I walked out of every single keynote. Yeah. Because I felt that they were disrespectful to me. Like, it's disrespectful to me to expect me to come give you my time, which is the most precious thing I have. I'm going to come give you my time, and you're going to read me slides off of a screen with your back to me. <laughs> There's not a culture in the world in which turning your back on someone and offending them by implying that they don't know how to read is a good idea. Right, right. Or, you know, I said on a keynote too where the whole topic was creativity and it was just a blue screen with white words every single slide. And I'm going, There's, you're speaking on creativity. Like, you have the opportunity with this particular topic and the knowledge that, that this particular person harnessed to create one of the most compelling presentations where people just like melted in their chair and you're, you're, you're losing, like I see it as such a missed opportunity because some yeah. people have, have devoted, you know, they, they've devoted their lives and it, there is that skill set, but, but we're, it's like, to me, it, it's a common sense awareness. You're, you're being asked to be a keynoter. You know, it's not, here's, here, here, here's Mr. Mauer in Iowa, and I'm begging to try to get a 45-minute a, a slot in a classroom to hope that somebody shows up for it. You know, it's, it's much different when you're on that stage. Like, you command, and, and I, I sit there and go, oh, you, you, get me up there. You know, I don't, I mean, I, right. how, are not, how are you not salivating to, 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 to share your message? Like, it's, it's, it's such a great opportunity. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, I could I could go on and go on and on on that. Jesus, uh, so yeah, okay. Um, the last thing that maybe we I like you know I, I read something too. You were talking about your presentation a hundred hours into that that keynote, and one of the things that I have found is I actually enjoy driving to the conferences, and I will sit in that whole entire four or five hour drive, and I will just rehash my entire yes. presentation and I'll I just keep saying day. it over and over um, and I've even found myself recording my voice and then listening to it and if I can't focus on my presentation I know I have a bad one and so uh, at my last I presented a tech conference and I had a presentation and then I listened to it and the night before I, I trashed the whole thing and started over I'm going this is terrible and then I was in panic mode um, but I still kept the gist of it but it, I was like if I can't even listen to myself who else yeah. wants to listen to this? And so that that practice piece, um, I think, not enough people do. Uh, right. Whether whether it's yeah. presentation or just just anything, you know, I think even even project based learning, we're unveiling these projects, but have we as teachers done the project ourselves? And most right. probably oh, haven't. 
you know, and it takes time, and I know time is the essential ingredient in about everything, good and bad. But you know, you, it it takes time, and you have to go through it. Um, and that that's such a vital, vital piece uh, that I thought that, that that you brought up in that. Um, the last thing, as as we go through here, just you had left a comment actually this morning about um, someone that we we were talking books, or I had mentioned how I read yeah. business books, and I I like to maybe pick your brand. This is just a sure. couple minutes. I know I've already taken you over the thirty minute piece, but no, we're fine. Uh, you mentioned uh, you left a comment for that you were reading Sally Hogshead, the book Fascinate. Yeah, I read that a while ago. I love it. It is so funny. I just listened to her speak. I've never heard of her before. Um, and there's that great Greater Work MBA workshop that was online, and I happened to listen to her. And I just, I, it's just so crazy because I don't know, if you probably can't see it, but I just did my profile of her this morning. And I, ah. I, I, took, I took a test and printed it off, and I was going, that's. So what is yours, Prestige and what? Um, rebellion. Prestige and Rebellion. Okay, yes. so I'm the victor. Um, prestige and power and passion is my next one. So okay, yeah, I just you mentioned that I was like that's so weird and so uh, that is so weird. That's that's awesome and so I would you know I'm glad that I'm not the only one that's reading business marketing books for the educational slant or just always improvement you know always for two reasons number one education books just in general aren't that well written which. I find the same thing, like I'm a religious person, and I find the same thing about religious books. Like I learn a lot more about God in business books than I do in church books too. Um, they're just not that well written in general. And then number two is that they are too focused on the what and not focused enough on the why. And you alluded to this when you talk about you go to conferences and a lot of times teachers just want strategy after strategy after strategy after strategy. And I really try to persuade teachers, it's your theory that guides your intervention. You've got to know why you're doing it. It's In this world, it's so easy to find a million strategies. It's so easy to find them. They are at your fingertips. What is harder to find is your why. What is the theory behind what you've chosen to use? So there are 60 billion tech tools and pedagogical strategies, and they're important to know. But all of us have gone to something, some kind of training, got a ton of strategies, filed the handout away, and never <laughs> use them again, right? And so what, what stays with us, what's eternal in this, is, is the why. And that's a lot more readily available in business books. Yes. So I, I read them all the time. And not just business. I read everything. Like I, I read education books because it's important for me to stay on top of that. But... I'm always reading something else as well. Yes, that's fantastic. So, what are you, uh, maybe we can wrap up. What What are you currently reading? What's on your What's on your uh, bookshelf? Well, you told me you were going to ask me this, and I, <laughs> I hesitated to answer it truthfully. Um, <laughs> I wanted to say what I just finished reading because that sounded better. I actually, my current read is called The Masters of Sex, and it's a biography of Masters and Johnson. Um, and I'm interested in this because I feel like anybody who is able to sell the idea that it was important to know about sex in the 1950s in America, which is essentially Victorian England, could sell snow to an Eskimo. So <laughs> I'm interested in that. So um, I read that, and then the book I had read right before that was Platform, which you've probably read, which is like getting yes. your message 
boss in a crowded world, right? So um, platform. But some of my favorites are um, are all of Dan Pink's books, obviously. But this isn't really a business book, but rather a series of books written by a surgeon named Atul Gawande. And Gawande wrote Complications, Better, and The Checklist Manifesto. Yeah, and yeah. all three of those books, to me, are must-reads. Um, and then, obviously, Gladwell stuff. His, his new book, David and Goliath, is next on my list under, under Masters and Johnson. Um, and so he's, he's a must-read for me. But also, um, well, I could talk about books all day. I should stop. I yeah. could go on and on. <laughs> yeah, I just I just read Gladwell's latest book. I just finished that this weekend. I my goals read it last week, and I, and uh, I'm gonna be talking about that book too. There's some things I really liked, um, and a couple things that I that I questioned. So maybe I'll well, I'll wait. Let me read finish. it and yeah, we'll talk again about yeah, it. There you go. Um, I have read Platform, and I I love that. And I applied some of those strategies to some things that I've done. And I'm actually part of Platform University, but I have haven't really done the master classes for about three months, so I'm probably failing in that. Um, but yeah, and I'm reading a book. It's called Rework, and I cannot think of the name of the author right now. And I just started actually last night, and it goes against the grain of everything. Um, and it's by the, by the guy who they created 37 Signals, and so they do a lot of internet platform type work. And it actually goes against everything that I kind of preach. Like they said, you shouldn't fail. Uh, you know, you, you, you don't learn from your mistakes. It's just, it, was just, it just takes an interesting twist on a lot of little ideas. Um, not that I agree with them all, but it, it's really making me stop just to kind of pause and just look at things differently, which is the whole goal of a lot of books. I, I, just, I like those things that make me go, hmm, is what I think really what I think, or should I relook at something and, and investigate further? And this book is just kind of making my head spin a little bit. Um, I'm, so I'm interested I, in that. I, I'm interested in reading that book, Aaron, because some of the things that were on like the back cover of it, which were like, ASAP is poison. Yes. And things are toxic. Like I could not agree with you more. I think the reason I quit being an assistant principal was the meetings. Um, and then pick a fight. Like I hate how I, I can't. I, I got to read this book. You know what? I, I, that and Gladwell are going to have to compete because I hate the idea that if you're at all confrontational, that that's a social faux pas. Right. Like, confrontation is necessary, and people who are afraid of confrontation, I don't trust them. Yeah, I I I'm with you. I'm with you. If you're, so if you're afraid of confrontation, you don't have enough passion about what you're doing. Right. If you if you're not if if someone's not questioning what you're doing, then I think then then what are you doing? Is then that, that that that's the statement I, I give with my students that we've been working through kind of this genius project is if people aren't questioning why you're standing up for what you're doing, then are you even standing up in the first place? Then yeah, there's nothing to stand up for if everybody agrees with you. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. good. Well, we'll maybe we'll have to have a book book chat conversation. We'll have to read up on some books and uh, have some discussion on it. But hey, I'm going to, we'll go ahead, let's let's wrap this up because I've, I've taken you 20 minutes over what I promised you. I told you I'd be done in 30 and here we are uh, 10 till. Uh, okay. But this has been awesome. I I can't thank you enough for taking time to, to chat. I, I appreciate it so much and it's always such a pleasure to hear your thoughts and I always walk away thinking so many more new ideas. So um, I thank you 
for, for, for taking time this morning to, uh, to do this. It's been my true pleasure. And so what I'll do is we'll, we'll wrap up here. Um, I will put your, your website information and your Twitter handle, all that, in the show notes so people can find out where to follow you as opposed to having you try to spell it out here and no one, okay. has, no one writes it down. So there'll be ways there. Um, and I'll probably do a little, um, I'll do a little conclusion wrap up just in some, some podcast stuff. And then I will, I will share this with you, Perfect. um, before we go public to make sure it sounds good for you. And, Perfect. uh, once again, I thank you so much for, for taking time. This has been awesome. Thank you. It was really fun. I liked it a lot. We have to do it again. Yes, for sure. For sure. All right. So Thanks, Darren. Uh, thank you. Have a great rest of the day. You too. Take care. All right. Bye, Lisa. Bye.